Welcome to the I Made This For You podcast with your host, Joel DeGenia. On today's episode, we have Mutaba Aguda, former manager of team development for the Golden State Warriors, and he currently has his hands in all things sports, tech, and media, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the I Made This For You podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Joel. I'm excited to be here. How I got introduced to you, I feel like I say this because it's a little weird if I just like act like I don't know who you are. You're friends with my dad, and I really wanted to meet you because he's been hyping you up, and I just remember him telling you all the stuff that you do. So we met at dinner one night and your story is really inspiring to me because you have so many hands in different pockets. And I think that the sports world is hard to navigate, but you're so young and you've done so much. So that's why I wanted to have you on this show. I appreciate it, Joel. And, uh, and, and, and likewise, I uh, when when Unc told me about, you know, the podcast and when you were building, um, I knew it was something that I kind of had to shift some stuff around. Um, so I'm glad you asked me to, to be on it in any way I can ever, you know, support a young, talented Black woman. Thank you. I really appreciate that a lot. You were team manager of player development at the Warriors. That was the correct title. Correct. Yes. The manager of team development. One, how do you get into that role? But then starting from the beginning, what was your entry to basketball? How did you know that you liked that sport and that's what you wanted to make your career out of? Yeah. So I'll start with kind of really getting into basketball. So I, I, I mean, I'm a first-generation American. I was born in Sudan, um, moved here when I was five years old with my family, and really dove into basketball at a young age. Uh, I always say basketball saved my life. Um, it kind of gave me purpose. It was something that brought me joy. It was a form of therapy. I played my whole life up until college. Um, never really thought that I could work in basketball. Though. I always thought you had to be a former pro player or the son or daughter of a former pro player. Um, so when I graduated, I was working in management consulting for a little bit. I was getting my master's degree at Liberty University Online in sports management. And one of my really good friends was working um, for the Washington Commanders in like ticket sales. So that was the first time I was like, okay, you can work in pro sports. Um, and as I was doing my master's and I was working full time doing management consulting, I got an internship with the with the Commanders with their foundation. I uh, you know did that for a couple of months, and then I saw that the Warriors were hiring. Um, actually on their business side with, with their community foundation, which was really closely tied to what I was doing with the commanders. I had a background in business. That's what I studied in school. I had a background in nonprofit work because I had my own nonprofit, but I did a lot of philanthropy work. So my first year with the team, I actually was on the business side. I was overseeing all the revenue generating initiatives for the Warriors Community Foundation. And that was such a pivotal year for me because I worked with this really small team of two really smart and talented individuals, Evan Schwartz and Shelby Thorson. And they I got to learn so much about the business of sports. I was in marketing meetings, corporate partnership meetings, so legal meetings and everything. I already had relationships um, with, with Damian Lee, who's from the DMV, but he, he played for the team. Whenever, you know, he had community events, I would, you know, he would ask me to come around. And so going into my second year, they kind of needed somebody. Um, our team was getting younger. Andre Godal had just gotten traded. Sean Livingston had retired. So I met with, you know, some of the the basketball operations executives and they wanted me to come over to the basketball side to help uh, kind of with the off-court player development for some of our younger players. And then every year just started adding more and more duties, got involved in scouting both domestically and international. We really started building out our player development program. Sean Livingston was a big part of that. It's one of my OGs and we started just incorporating different ways to get guys involved in tech, you know, media, really any, you know, gaming, any interest that they had off the court. But then also finding a way to kind of streamline our communication in the organization when it came to on-court development. Myers, one of the best people manager there is. Um, the Lake Up family, 
some of the best managers I've ever had. David Kelly, or she, I, I could spend the whole podcast shouting out people from the Warriors. I was put in a position to really grow with them. How did you foster those relationships to get people to believe in you and to like see your talent? Because you are so young, you worked right out of college, basically. Even though you started your start with the Commanders, you were 20, 21? Yeah, 21, yeah. Like, how do you get people to trust you at that young age? Yeah, that's something, I think, um, that's still something I'm figuring out. I think for me, my dad is really big on quotes. And one quote he always had was, with every new person you meet comes a different story. So for me, it's like, when I meet people, I try to be really intentional. I think nowadays our, our generation, the way we view networking is, you know what, I'm going to reach out to someone, build some type of relationship, even if it's not genuine. So when I need something, I can reach back out to them. I've never really believed in that. I've always felt like true, you know, networking is, you know what, there's someone that's doing something amazing here, or, you know, they've attempted something here. Maybe they didn't succeed, but they learned through their experiences. I just want to pick their brain and learn from them. And I, I always try to put my position, put myself in a position where I'm able to learn. And so for me, it was just, I, you know, I, I think what helped me out was I knew you know, when I joined the Warriors, they had already won two two or three championships. You know, they were doing perfectly well without me. And so I knew I was in a situation where I was just around some of the best people in, amongst their fields in the sports world. And so I think they just saw that I was really curious and willing to learn. And, you know, in turn, they were willing to invest in my growth. You joined in 2018. Uh, what was it like working with the Warriors that year? I think... That year, my first year, we were coming off the back-to-back championships. And, like, you know, w- when you get to that level with all the outside voices and the media and whatnot, it's like any little kind of misstep off the road, people try to amplify. Um, but I think the team did a really good job of, of kind of, you know, we made the finals that year. And, you know, we unfortunately had some some tough injuries to, to a bunch of key people. But, like, I think – in any sport to make it really in any endeavor to make it to kind of the the final, it takes some type of resiliency. Um, and I think it was shown that year you had um, a bunch of different people step up. Avonson McKinney kind of came out of nowhere. You know, Quinn was doing his thing. Jarepko was big. And like, for me, it was my first year. So like it was, I was the rookie taking it all in. And like, it was funny because some people have been with the organization for like five years. So they're like, oh yeah, this is what we do. And I was like, so for me, that year was just so amazing because I could, as a big basketball and sports fan, I was just able to like experience every little moment, you know, my first home game, my first playoff game. It was the last year in Oakland. So I got to experience Oracle and that intimate setting. And so that year was just, it was, it was a roller coaster because, you know, we had moments where we weren't winning, but then again, to be able to experience an NBA finals and in my first year, like that's something I'll never, ever forget. I kind of want to talk a little bit about Oracle Arena because I've been to Oracle Arena and I didn't realize how small it was because when you hear it in the games, it's so loud and the atmosphere is just like different. And I think that's coming, that's because like I'm a Wizard fan, like I guess you could say I'm a Wizard fan. So like yeah. being a fan of the Wizard is like so different because it's not really like a basketball city like it's not really to watch it's either to talk to each other or it's to see the visiting team but what are Warriors fans like and what is that energy going into a game if you can give us insight from a person yeah it's so Warriors fans are a direct replication of what people from the Bay Area are like one of my the one of the best things that I loved about my time in the Bay was just like 
if you don't know that these people are from Oakland, they're going to tell you, they're going to put it in your face and they're so proud about it. Like they don't, a lot of people don't know I'm from the Bay. They're like, now nah, I'm from Oakland. Um, and that, that year in, in Oracle was just amazing. Cause I had heard stories, but like to experience it, the chance, how loud it gets, you know what I'm saying? How with Bay area music infused into their, into their games. It was just, it was amazing. And everyone knew it was the last year. So like, you know what I'm saying? It, everyone was just riding the emotional high. I think, they did a did a really good job moving into Chase Center as well because it was always those questions like okay are they going to be able to maintain that same type of energy and that success in San Francisco and like I think for the most part yeah and then also just I don't know if you had a chance to come to Chase Center but like it's the arena is fantastic I haven't been to Chase Center yet I think because I went in 2017 2018 like that was the last time I went and that was a there for a Wizards game so obviously it was just so easy for them to win I felt like I was switching sides I was a Warriors fan that night it sucks you in I'm trying to tell people like a game of Oracle is like no other experience kind of diving back into Warriors culture as a whole outside of the leaders from the business organization what is Steph like as a leader and how does that transfer over to you for someone who worked there like, were you inspired by him to make you want to be a better leader or change the way that you viewed certain situations just by being around certain players like Andre Steph Clay just like that team atmosphere because it is a winning culture and there is so much history because it's one of the few teams where like you guys draft really well so people stay with the team and you get to grow with the guys obviously like you have Katie coming in and out or whatever but I feel like most of it is homegrown yeah I think the biggest thing that I took away was just some of the best humans that I've ever been around like Obviously, you know, the guys that you just mentioned, Steph, Draymond, Clay, Andre, you know, Sean, they're all idolized for their abilities as basketball players. But like, those are some of the best humans that I've ever been around. Like, they never really, you know, lose their head. Although it's like, it's hard when you're in a situation where you, you want so much to stay humble. But like, the, the way they treat people in the building, outside the building, like, Andre is one of the smartest people I've ever come across. Like, the stuff he knows outside of basketball is just amazing. Draymond is so true to himself, which is so hard to do in any light, let alone being a celebrity. Clay is the same. Clay is like Clay is someone I could just sit around and spend 24 hours with because he's just such a a chill dude. And then Steph, I mean, like anyone that's ever had a chance to to spend time with Steph will tell you he's just one of the just the the kindest human beings ever. And like he he the way he approaches life is like, like I'm more Del Curry. Like I'm I'm not staff for not like I'm just a, a human being that's been blessed with the ability to play basketball. And so for me, that was my biggest taking point was just like it was it was amazing to be around them and see them perform their craft at such a high level. But like just how they were as human beings was my biggest taking point. Do you did you ever go through a time period where like, oh, like I work for the Warriors. This is who I am. It was a like job first person or were you always like this is my job but it's not yeah and anybody anybody working in any type of entertainment will lie to you whether it's sports music or movies well it will be lying if they say they didn't go through that point and it's because the job is it requires so much out of you in terms of time in terms of sacrifice that it gets to a point where you know you're working weekends you're working holidays you're taking calls at 8 9 p.m doing a lot of unconventional stuff but there's so much like so many perks and so many fun things and genuine relationships that you get to. So it becomes in a time with who you are. So like, absolutely. Yeah. When I first started, but then you get to a point where you're kind of just like life happens, you know, you have stuff in your personal life and you just, you've, you kind of separate the two, but like, absolutely. When I first started, I definitely had moments where it was just like, I, I really got to prove myself like this is this, you know, 
this is number one, number two, and number three in my life. So with your job as team player development, was that kind of something that you wanted to trust on the younger guys coming in? Because you work with the rookies and the younger guys a lot, and I feel like that transition can be really tough. You're going from playing basketball in college and then you're being in the NBA. How do you make sure that they're being taken care of and that they're not honestly being exploited? But what's your role in the younger guys' like personal development? Yeah, I definitely try to instill that. But like it's a balance because, you know, these guys are in a new transition of life. Um, and at the end of the day, basketball is what provides for them and their family. So it's like, you know, it's it's this is number one. It's priority. Like, but you're not just a basketball player. You're allowed to spend time with your family. You're allowed to have interests off of the court. Um, but it, it comes with trust. It's like, you know what? I trust that you're a professional. I know you're going to approach your job with professionalism that's needed. You have an entire building of people that are committed to that job. And I think that was, we always talk about the warrior's culture. That was a big piece of it. It was just, I was a small, small piece of, of really helping these guys get prepared for the league. We had great coaches, great performance staff, you know, great equipment staff that just made sure that all these guys knew like, okay, this is, you know, my hard work has earned me this. Um, and then you also have, I worked the guys I worked with, some of the best families I've ever come across, you know, moms that were involved and, you know, a lot of them had brothers or sisters or cousins or managers that were just, you know, everyone understands that we're all support to the sky. And so I think that's the, the big piece is just getting to understand like, yes, basketball is number one, like it's your job. But like, it's not who who doesn't define you as a person. It all started with Steph, Coach Kerr, and Bob Myers. Like it's when you see three guys that are at the top of their profession, been doing it for so long, and they come in with the same demeanor every day, every year, you got to fall in line. You can't be the one to come in with an ego or nothing. And so it started with that. It just, we, we had people at the top that like, just showed us the way to do it. Like they genuinely care. But you mentioned that you... One of your positions and your roles was scouting, and you did a lot of overseas stuff. The movie Hustle, was that accurate? <laughs> like, do you think yeah. like Adam Sandler accurately portrayed your job, kind of, or was it he like did. a... Adam did a great job, and a part of me, since that movie's come out, I've had like 50 people send it to me and be like, ah, so a part of me is happy it came out because now people were like, okay, this is why you travel overseas. Like, now I kind of get what you do for work. Um, but yes, it it was at, like to an extent. We don't just go to random basketball courses looking for players. We had we prepared, you know, we watched a lot of these guys on film beforehand. We, you know, plan to go to their games, to their practices. We already know a decent amount about these guys, so we don't just go to random basketball courts and come across NBA talent. I wish it was that easy. But when do you start looking at these players? Because if you're not obviously just like picking them up off a of court. Like, what year do you start following them? Because I feel like the talent gets younger and younger that you start hearing about yeah. them. So when does that start? It's changed now because now, you know, over the last two years after COVID, the league started scouts go, letting scouts go to, like, high school and amateur events. So finding out, and with social media, we're finding out about these kids as early as 12, like 12, 11, and then we're really following them at, like, 13 years old and starts that early. And so it's like... It's crazy. You're, you're, you're watching them. By the time they're maybe 17, you've already probably seen them like 10 to 15 times live. That's crazy. I think about the discourse on Twitter where everyone's like getting into the league is way harder than it used to be. For people 
who don't come for money or like who aren't able to just be on the AAU circuit, how do you look for talent that's not in that type of world? I mean, it's hard, but it's definitely possible. I'll give you an example. Bilal Kulabali, who's on the Washington Wizards, he kind of came out of nowhere, you know, and he ended up being the sixth overall pick. No one really knew about him, but like, I think what it is, is like, if you're talented, you'll end up being found. Jokic was a second rounder. No one thought he was going to be as good. There's a bunch of guys every year that do that. I think at the end of the day, it's like, you, you just look for certain kind of intangibles that these players or these young kids possess. It's like, do you think this is someone that can grow into a smart basketball player, someone that can develop physically? And if they've done enough to show you that, it doesn't really matter kind of if they're playing high level. I always tell young kids this, like whenever I talk to kids that are in high school or I talk to like AAU teams, it's like I, what sells on social media is the hoop mixtapes where you're dribbling in place, wasting dribbles and doing all those crazy dunks. If you want to play at the next level collegially or even in the, in the pro level, all that matters to coaches and your teammates is can this player be on the court and help us win? Is he making the right place to allow us to outscore the other team and making the right plays to allow us to defend the other team. So that means making an extra pass. That means setting the screens. That means running the floor, running to the corners, all the stuff that you don't see on highlight tapes. And like, that's the stuff that I think the prospects need to focus on. From your point of view, how can you tell that their game is going to be able to transition well from college to the NBA or like from the G League to the NBA? Because I feel like that's such a different level of playing. When you're looking at the scouting report or seeing them play, what do you notice? And you're like, oh, I can coach that guy or like I can develop them and bring them up on this team. Yeah, I think it, it varies. Like some guys have size, some guys have uh, you know, an ability to shoot. The two really main things that I look for are, does the person have a translatable NBA skill? So they're a high-level shooter, they're a high-level passer, high-level rebounder, something that is going to get them onto the court and then we can work on the rest of the skills. Um, and then really the second piece um, outside of them having a translatable NBA skill is like, uh, is this player, uh, does he have a willingness to accept the role? Those are the two that I think really get looked over but if you're able to accept the role whatever that role is some players it might be be a star player some it might be like we need you to come off the bench and score we need you to defend the other players best you know the other team's best player like like if you're willing to accept the role and you have a translatable NBA skill those are the guys that have long careers and they get paid your job is so interesting to me because you don't really think about player development like I feel like everyone's just like trashing these guys being like oh they're trash yeah. they can't do this but like, obviously they're in the league so there's something about them that makes them worth it I tell people this like the worst G League player will bust the best Twitter trash talker like people don't understand how hard it is to be a professional NBA or WNBA player it's not just a matter of talent but it's a matter of sacrifice you're not seeing your family you're putting your body through hell you're having to eat, you know, a super strict diet. You have to deal with everybody having, you know, public access to your life, whether it be social media, how much you make, all of this stuff. You got to deal with all of that, and then you got to come out there and perform in front of thousands and thousands of people. And so people don't take all of that into, you know, into credit because they're just like, oh, well, you're getting paid millions of dollars. It's like, all right, you're still hard, you know, and it's not just, you're not just playing pickup at your local, you know, playground. And so, there's all these little things that go into player development and into becoming a professional player that the, the common eye doesn't really see. Going off of that, I feel like 
the war some of the Warriors players got a lot of criticism over the last few years. And I what comes to my mind is obviously Jordan Poole and Jonathan Kaminga. Those are guys that you worked closely with. Can you tell us more about them as people and like what we don't get to see? Obviously, they don't have to be like personal stories, but I feel like people see them on the corner. It's like, oh, they're trash. Yeah, it's so funny because sports is such an emotional thing. Like that's what makes fans great because, you know, emotions drive action and, you know, you fill up seats and, and, you know, you always want to play in front of great fans. But like, I think sometimes it goes a little overboard. Like, we don't have a championship without Jordan Poole. I don't think people understand how there were stretches of games during the playoffs and regular season where that man carried us. Like he provided a secondary ball handler. When Steph got hurt, he carried the team. Like he was on a tear two years ago. And even last year, he averaged 20 points per game alongside Steph and Clay. We dealt with a bunch of injuries. We don't get into the playoffs without him. And the, the dude is 23 years old. Like, it's so hard to play in the NBA as a 23-year-old. And, like, it's just uh, – he is one of the mentally toughest people I've ever come across. And he's so humble. He doesn't speak. He just does what he's asked to do. Like, um, so I never really understood the hate with him. Like, I, I just, like basketball is a tough sport. There's like the best players of all time miss shots. They turn the ball over. It's whatever. But like people were questioning his effort and everything. And I just, I never understood when I would get on Twitter and see that. And so I never really, I think from a, from an on-court standpoint, he didn't really get a, a, a fair, really kind of assessment. And the same thing with Jonathan, like his, Jonathan turns 21 in a month and in, in a few weeks. Guys are in NBA three years. Like I, I think what people need to understand is like, he's the, the youngest Warriors player to ever score a thousand points. Jonathan was asked to guard the Luka Doncic's, the Giannis's of the world, and then also run the floor and score. Like, I think, you know, our coaching staff did a really good job putting him in position to use his athleticism. And like, Jonathan showcased abilities where you could be like, oh, this, this kid has potential to really be one of the best players in the game, best two-way players. It is so hard to guard NBA players. If you ask anybody that's been in and around the game, like a, a true NBA score is hard to guard him. And we were asking this dude to do it as an 18, 19 year old. And I'm like, I never, again, it was just like, that's not a hard thing to, to, that's not an easy thing to ask of someone. And I think both of them, like Jordan could have been starting on a, a, just a multitude of teams. Same with Jonathan. Both of them took their roles, came off the bench, did what they was asked to do. Um, sacrificed, helped us win a championship. I think that's reflective of kind of the people that who they are. And I think um, to me, I always say, man, that's that's two young black dudes that change the trajectory for their families for multiple generations. That in itself, coming from the, the areas that we come from, I got nothing but respect for them, for them to do that in a public light. And you talk about Jonathan came from, from the Congo, the, the Republic of Congo, when he was 13, lived here without his went five years without seeing his family. Like, you know what I'm saying? Jordan was at prep schools, just dealt with everything that he had to deal with. Like people forget there's a human element to this shit. Excuse my language. Uh, <laughs> there's a human element to this stuff. And I just think, you know, I, I, that's the one thing I always want people to put at the forefront. Like these guys aren't just entertainment for you. These are people trying to provide for their families 
they're harder on themselves than you would ever be on them. And so they, you know what I'm saying? They know when they've had a bad game. You don't have to remind them. Two follow-up questions. And one is kind of more of a statement. I agree with you being like, people forget that athletes are humans first. And like, this is just a job, especially when Brad got traded this year. My friends who are Wizard fans acted like, they were like, I'm going to name my firstborn child after so-and-so. Like, thank God he's gone. Like, this man was a scribble. I'm like, this is just a day job. Imagine coming into your job and trainers are booing you, telling you that you're trash at your job. But it's just like a way you provide for your family. Like, you got to relax. I'm not trying to like push anyone's buttons, but I think that people view black athletes way differently than yeah. white athletes. Like white athletes, they get a pass at having a bad game. It's like, oh, it's fine. But from your perspective, do you think that black players have it harder or just like the criticism that they get is different than their other peers? Absolutely. I mean, I think... I, it's not a secret at all. I'm very vocal about this. Like being a black man is the second hardest thing in this country. And being a black woman is the hardest thing. And that goes into athletes too. I think people always say, oh, you know, like getting paid millions and millions of dollars. It, that doesn't erase, you know, the, the mental trauma involved with, with being a black person in this country. Um, and I think when your life is public, it only makes it 10 times harder. Um, like, it's, you brought up the Brad situation, and like to me, that's a dude that gave up, that gave ten years to the city. I'm from DC, so I know what he what he gave to the city, and it's like, the man has earned the right to do what he wants to do. He fought, he sacrificed his body, went through it all, and like, and I just, I, I, I don't understand how criticism come out of that, and like, I do think it is when again when it's a when it's a bad black athlete it's a little the tone is a little bit harsher um in terms of the actions there's more of a negative connotation um and but i mean that's that's really just unfortunately how you know a lot of it's it's i think it's an entertainment thing not just sports thing but unfortunately that's something that the country is trying to work through but i don't think we're fully we've kind of fully figured it out yet 2020 when that all happened, did you think that the bubble would have gone the way it would have? Like, did you think players would stop off the court or were you surprised by that action being like, oh, like we're not playing today? Yes. Yeah, so, so back then we weren't in the bubble, but um, our ownership put together like a fund to help um, kind of underserved communities. Um, and I just remember too, like uh, a bunch, and this probably happened to a lot of Black people around the world, but like, a bunch of you know my non-black colleagues kind of reached out and were like, "Hey, I'm here for you, you know, to talk to you and everything," and like, which was appreciated. Um, but I, I think I I just think around the world, it was a a moment because everything had slowed down. It was a moment for everyone to just stop back and be like, "Okay, a lot of what's going on is kind of messed up. Like, let's actually, you know." And it was brief. You know, I feel like by 2022. It was like, all right, let's get back to life. But it, during that period, for sure, I do think there were like, there was some genuine attempt from a lot of brands and, and really some people, like, I think in the sports world and everything. Um, and I think the bubble, I think that was a big action by those teams that kind of walked off. It just was like, I, mean, we, I think we've become um, kind of, we've, we've become just, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Desensitized to like, just 
really traumatizing stuff. Like I remember, I forget um, the gentleman who was killed. It was in Milwaukee, I believe, that that led to um, to the that led to the players walking off. Um, he was killed by police, and to me, it just was like, I think the 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 messaging around it was like, oh, this is someone else that's died, and I'm like, do you understand when someone dies? That's someone's husband, brother, dad, like. We've just it's become such a normal thing, you know, someone dying, let alone at the hands of the people that are supposed to protect them. So for me, I I was I commended that action. I think you kind of just saw the the mental fatigue that some of those guys were going through. Like, how are we supposed to play when someone that looks like me could have been someone that's related to me was killed for doing nothing? Um, and so I think they their actions were a reflection of really how black people around the country felt. I definitely agree with you. I was a little surprised that they actually walked off the court and like not in a bad way, but I think because I was thinking about the Clippers team and like that whole Mm -hmm. Donald Sterling situation, I was like, oh, they still played. So like, I didn't think that they were going to, I didn't think like any players was actually going to take, I knew they were going to take action, but I didn't think they were going to stop a game because I was like, oh, the Clippers can still play. And like, that was the owner. Then I felt like everything else was going to, but you're right. 2020 like was slowing down and everyone just like, their eyes were on. That's kind of the only thing you could watch was like basketball. Yeah. So it didn't make sense. Nah, facts. Back to basketball or your career. Now that you're done with the Warriors, can you talk more about what life is like now? You're an investor. Just more about that world. Yeah, man. So when when really over the last two years, um, when Andre came back, uh, a little bit before that, though, with Sean and I really just knew that we were blessed to be in the Bay Area. So it was an opportunity for like, we had a bunch of young guys that were curious, smart, wanted to learn about venture capital and tech investing. So we would connect them with the right folks. Um, But we also got a chance to really learn a lot um, about how the world of sports, tech and media were colliding, um, how really, you know, the culture, which is essentially black creators was at the forefront of it how black athletes were starting to become a big, you know, force within it. And so we got a chance to learn a lot when Andre, you know, rejoined the team. He's one of those dudes that's like, look, I'm going to bring my village with me. And so got a chance to really learn under him um, and was really excited to have this opportunity to kind of start working with him and, and uh, working with Sean on some stuff as well. And so, uh it's 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 a different world not you know typically right now i'd be getting ready for training camp um but for and i was telling you at dinner for me uh, you know the biggest blessing is being be able to be back on the east coast so i'm close to family um but even for me it's like some of these conversations that i'm having are conversations that as someone from sudan someone i grew up in you know inner city dc like never thought i'd be able to have i'm learning so much anyone that knows me knows I love learning. Like, I, I I think, you know, my biggest, you know, the thing that I'm most proud of is that I don't know everything. And I love that, you know, so there's always room for me to learn. So uh, every time I talk to your dad, I learn something new and vice versa. And so for me, it's just been really amazing to like, understand that, like, you know, this is where the modern world is heading in terms of technology, sports, media, creators, and all of this, and being able to, you know, have somewhat of an involvement in it how do you pick what you want to what products you want to be a part of and what do you want to invest in yeah and so it, it varies I mean number and this was something I had to learn too because like you know my background is I studied business with a concentration in accounting and management and so 
I've always been trained to think logically, um, but a lot of it is really who's the founding team behind the product. Um, and so it's it's about reading people, which I consider to be a strength of mine. Um, but then also um, never really, I never get behind anything that I wouldn't use or that I don't really see uh, the masses, you know, adopting or using. Um, but I think really number one at the forefront is the people. You're really investing in the people because everyone that you invest in, if you're expecting to get a big return on your investment, you're investing pretty early. Um, and so it, they kind of, it's either an idea or it's a small, a small built out, you know, product, not too big. So you're really investing in the team and believe that they're going to be able to grow it. And so I would say that's, that's the biggest driver. Um, And kind of to wrap this up, because I feel like that was really good about what you say, because it is about like who you're investing in, who do you meet? And I think relationships are so important. And that's kind of the overall theme of this episode. It was a lot about basketball, but the way you talked about basketball, it's just like, these are my relationships. These are how I would invest in them and how people invest in me and why like networking and just being a good person is so important. What do you want your legacy to be and how do you want to leave? Man, that's a really, that's a really good question. And that's when I've started thinking about more intently recently, because I, um, I, anyone that knows me that knows that I'm, I, I think I love the fact that I know I'm not perfect and that I've, I've learned from a lot of my mistakes, a lot of my experiences and whatnot. Um, and one thing that I promised myself moving forward is like, you know, being intentional with everything that I do. Um, and so in terms of my legacy, I want to, again, I'm a product of the right people investing in me, the right people putting me in position to succeed and everything. I want to give that back tenfold. So it's not, the goal isn't money. The goal isn't, uh, you know, I'm not a big social media person in general. So like the goal isn't getting clout or whatever. It's just being able to when I leave this earth, being able to look back and be like, man, like I was able to help as many people as, as you know, as, as, as I could, I was able to be fundamentally happy with the work that I did. Uh, and most importantly, I was able to, to really live a life where I kind of felt fulfilled. So for me, those are kind of my big three things that I think I'm going to tie into my legacy. That's really good answer i when you were talking and when you were um saying what you were saying i immediately thought about this j cole line but like, i can't remember but i think it's like are you doing this for are you doing this for like fame or are you doing this for growth and like that is like immediately what i thought of when you were talking about just like was my favorite rapper so I, i'm glad you said that no but thank you for taking the time i really appreciate it and i hope people have been taking notes because i feel like even like dropping gems this entire episode so i hope People are locked in and thank nah, you. I appreciate it, Joel. This is really dope. I, I appreciate you thinking of me to be on the pod. I hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you for listening.